Today, Dr. Paul Boatman will be bringing the message from God's Word. Paul has been a preacher and elder for many years and has served the local church in so many ministries. He was a longtime professor at Lincoln Christian University. He's worked in the counseling and hospice fields. Dr. Boatman is known for his sensible and compassionate approach with those who are hurting and in need of care. We're grateful that Paul is part of our Lakeside family, serving effectively alongside his wife, Sunny. Please welcome Paul as he comes to speak in our service today. Ever wish you had a reset button? What would a reset look like in your life? We've all experienced disruptive changes, profound loss, abnormalities, been on the brink of burnout. We want to offer you hope, encouragement, guidance. God promises life and life everlasting. Ah, good morning, church. It's good to see you today. Do you wonder why you're here? Look around you. Do you wonder why the folks around you are here? Actually, there's some pretty interesting stories. Do you know that every Sunday there are people here who have been coming to this congregation for over 60 years? When I ask how they happen to be here, they usually go back and tell me some story about we were at a change point in life. We'd made a move or we just developed, beginning to develop our family and someone else said to me, hey, you ought to come over and go to Lakeside and 60 years later, they're still here. What's your story? How do you happen to be here? Some of you are newcomers, very much newcomers. I'm a little bit of a newcomer. I've been here a little less than two years myself. How do I happen to be here? Well, I was at a time in life where I was making some major decisions. Some things were changing. I had been married for 52 years, and um, my wife developed Alzheimer's and spent about 10 years with that disease, and she died in my arms. And I learned a little bit about what aloneness was like that I had never understood before. You never get over grieving, but you do sometimes move on to the focus, the uh, immediacy of it. And after about two years, I had decided I would be open to the possibility of initiating a relationship with another woman who might be open to becoming my wife. And about the time I was uh, coming to that realization, another, a woman came into my life. You perhaps know this woman. Uh, yeah, that's, that's Sunny right there. Let's hear it for Sonny. Okay. (laughs) Um, Now, because I've been a professor and I've been very scholarly and focused on doing everything with a lot of careful attention and detail, I spent many, many long months in assessing this relationship. Actually, that's not true. At the tender age of 75, I fell head over heels in love with her, and I married this woman. But there was a challenge. I had a home. I was willing to give that up. I had a church, a church that I really loved and a church that seemed to love me. But she was very, very heavily involved in this church, 
And strangely, that was a part of her attraction to me. So I uh, became a part of this church. I think the church leadership had to do some careful head scratching. Is this something we want to do? And they decided they'd let me in. And so I've become a part of your church. That's a little bit about how I happen to be here. Now, maybe your... uh, story is a little bit like that, or maybe it's wildly different, but for some reason, you've made a life-changing decision when you decided to become a part of this church. What is there that draws people here? How do you present this church to people from the outside who don't know anything about it? What is Lakeside Christian Church? Well, we all know it's a beautiful building with spectacular spires and beautiful stone uh, pillars and stained glass windows, a Gothic cathedral. No, (laughs) that's not the church. In fact, we don't even uh, say Lakeside Christian Church is a beautiful modern building with a nice central assembly area and a big foyer and all kinds of uh, rooms out there where other different kind of activities take place. Lakeside Christian Church is this distinct group of people. You are Lakeside Christian Church. But still, how do you present it to other people then if you don't have a nice big cathedral to point to? You can go to the website. That's a very contemporary thing to do. And the website talks about Lakeside Christian Church as a family. It talks about the service groups that meet together to do good things. But the lakeside family is a term that keeps recurring. Do you realize how countercultural that is? There are forces in our culture, sociological and political, that are really in opposition to the family. They don't think much of the uh, Christian family. Now, this family idea is not a brand new thing. It's not something we've come up with. It's something that happens to go back Well, really, to the very beginning. The family is the oldest institution that's been established by God. It was called into being before the church. It was called into being a long time before. Called into being before the temple and the tabernacle were called into being. Called into being initially. We are in family. And family, when it's functioning well in a healthy fashion with godly values, is the central educative mode for all of society and all of culture. And when we identify the church as the lakeside family of God, we are calling upon the church to be structured together, united together with all of those central values that pull people together and help them to develop, to survive, to be nurtured into the uh, fullness of what God wants the people to be. What I'd like for you to do with me this morning is to walk through some of the scriptures that talk about the church as a family to see uh, if we can gain some insight into how we can most effectively function as the family of God. And in this process, we're doing some reset. 
We're resetting our view of the church, and we start here with resetting a central idea. What does brotherly love mean? In the uh, 12th chapter of Romans, there's this statement. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Now, that doesn't need a lot of elaboration, but you understand that the Bible talks about love in different ways. There's some love that is this profound, decisive love that is called upon to reflect how God has uh, loved us absolutely. That's powerful love, but this love is not quite that. It's also not the kind of love that is sensational or even erotic. It's not that kind of love. It's the kind of love that comes because we are a part of each other. From the depth of my being, you are my brother or my sister. We are family. And it's this brotherly love that is consistently seeking what is the very best for the other person, wishing for you to experience what would be the very best that I would also wish to experience for myself. So we reset our sense of brotherly love, unashamedly, unabashedly deciding we're going to love one another. And then we can also reset our sense of doing good. Uh, Paul in the Galatian letter uh, gives us some insight on that. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of God. This doing good is not just a Boy Scout doing good deeds so that we can contabulate it and say, okay, I've done some good things. I must be a pretty good person. It's a kind of doing good for people as the need is simply there. In this body, we are watching for who has a need, who has a hurt, who needs some encouragement, who has a special issue they need some assistance with. It's like the family. You don't have to wonder, is that really something I'd be concerned about? In a normal family, we celebrate when there's good times. We celebrate when there's a graduation, when there's a marriage, when there's a promotion, when uh, there's a birthday. We like to have that kind of sharing together. In the family, we also get together in good times when uh, there is a death, when there's a sorrow, when there's a, uh, an injury, when there's a hospitalization. We get together because that's family. They need our help. Even uh, dealing with COVID, we still have to somehow get together and support. That's what family does. Um, within family, there's sometimes what we might call the grand times. Those of you who are grandparents understand this, that there's some special relationship with that child who's one generation beyond uh, where our own children are. And uh, their times are absolutely important times for us. I remember one time seeing a woman at a uh, game. She was seated right at courtside, and uh, she was really into it. 
but she was cheering all the time. And I asked her, you must really enjoy this game, do you? She said, enjoy it? I don't even understand it, but I love my granddaughter. (laughs) And she was into it. Now, there's something of that in the family of God. We reset how we do good for one another. We're concerned about things being done for others. Here in the Lakeside family, we're concerned about our kids, most assuredly. Do you remember there was a time, oh, just a few months ago, when we called something called a uh, Sunday fun day on Saturday? That's terribly confusing to me. But this room got transformed into a place where the kids were doing projects with their families, whole families working together, families rubbing against with one another, sometimes competing with each other, all of it in the context of having some uh, ice cream sundaes, families interacting with families, that's the kind of thing that fits our values. Um, In the summer on Wednesdays, the parking lot out here gets blocked off into a safe place for kids to ride bicycles while Mothers stand out probably under the shade of the portico or sometimes in the hot days inside in the air conditioning, but mothers rubbing shoulders with other mothers, and they need that kind of contact as well. We encourage family things. Our uh, children have programming that is designed to help them not to be independent of their families, but alongside what's going on in the family to encourage their nurture and development. It's a part of who we are. We encourage them to go to the best camp there is in the area, Lake Springfield uh, Christian Assembly, and we try to uh, get them there in support of one another. Some of the kids as they're older go to uh, Christ in Youth Conference, an activity that is more intensive and usually about three to five hours away. uh, Undergirding the values that we most assuredly believe in as a family here together. There are all kinds of events. We're involved in uh, the gathering together in small groups. Our small group is a, a group that has begun to have fellowship meals together and we pray for one another and we have intense discussion on things that are important to us in our Christian development. There are people in this church who are doing good that don't even expect any attention to be drawn. If there's a person with a a need in the family where meals could be provided, a simple phone call starts a communication process that I don't understand. But within hours to that home, there's going to be a home-cooked warm meal uh, delivered for that family. They never ask me to bake a pie. I presume someone may have tasted a pie that I bake, and that helps to keep me out of the running on that. There are things that are done for uh, people who have special needs. Uh, there are men who have toolkits and know how to use those toolkits, and they make their resources available for people who have car problems, for people who are in uh, needs in their homes, especially focusing on elderly people, focusing upon uh, single mothers, focusing upon widows, people who could use some extra help in uh, keeping the house, their home, in in order. It's simply something you do because it's family. Family has needs that we want to offer. 
Uh, there's a time in the fall when teenagers become yard warriors and the uh, leaves in certain yards don't stand a chance against the uh, teenagers. This church foyer out here is an interesting place. A lot of times when you're coming or going, you have an agenda and you've got to move quickly. But if you just stop and glance around, there tend to be small gatherings. Now, the gatherings are sometimes just a matter of checking out, how are you going? What's going on? Anything happening? happening in your life, but there are also times when those gatherings are intense ministry because someone knows that this person has an ability or someone knows this person has a need and a discussion takes place right there. And the breadth of giftedness, capabilities among this body of Christians is such that that foyer is almost an encyclopedic resource. You can really get help on life issues. The big point of this is that this church has developed a sense of caring for people in their needs. It was just a short time ago that I was standing outside a house of a woman where her house was being destroyed by fire at that time and she was talking about how she was going to cope about it and she made this statement she said Lakeside Christian Church has taught me what real Christian love is I pray that that kind of statement may be evident again and again and again you can reset your sense of what doing good is we can also And here's a more difficult area. We can reset our sense of how the church deals with sin. The sixth chapter of Galatians, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, that's some interesting phraseology. Some of the translations use terms like, if someone is trapped in sin, if someone is addicted to sinful behaviors, you who are spiritual, who's that? That's us good folks, you know. Those of us who are perfect, who have never had a problem with any kind of sin, that's, you know, that's not true. You who at this point are able to be responsive to the way that the Spirit of God is working within you, then you are called upon to what? Get that person, make them feel really guilty. Maybe we could get stocks and pillories like the Puritans are said to do, put people locked in this setting and so we can make fun of them. Restore. It's not reject. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be, also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is a countercultural pattern to be sure. When a brother or sister is at a loss for coping with the situation, reach out and in partnership, establish an encouraging relationship to help this person uh, come up. How's that happen? 
A person says, I don't know how I can break this sin pattern. I feel so caught in it. I cannot break the addiction. I seem to be making bad relational decisions all the time. I feel like I'm just overwhelmed by so many bad things happening in my life. At that person, we're called upon to say, you don't need to be alone. Let me help you find the help you need. And then the relationship is one that tries to establish not only transformation, but accountability so that the hard work miracle of breaking the bondage, breaking that overtaking sinful pattern can come to be and we support one another in the process. Now, this is such a different approach because it doesn't have us thinking, well, we're going to have our sin detectors on, a special sin detector gun. I've spotted you. We're going to get you. But it's rather saying we are in the process of implementing the redemption that Jesus Christ has given to us. We're not the perfect people. We are simply in support of, in partnership with the perfect Savior. Adult Christians don't need to experience judgment. I had a situation a couple, about three or four weeks ago in the children's ministry. I was working with the preschoolers, pre, yeah, pre-kindergarten children. What was I doing in there? I wasn't teaching. I don't know enough to try to teach those kids, but I think they want a surrogate grandpa in there. So my my job was to simply be relating to the kids, and I was down on the floor with the kids talking to them closely when a little girl whom I had just met that morning walked up to me and she said, I want to do the trust fall. Now, You all know about the trust fall. Typically, the way it's done, a person stands up here, and there are about uh, six people out out here. We we hold our hands out, and we're ready to catch this person as the person falls backward. And there's a bit of exhilaration in that falling backwards and trusting that these people are actually going to catch you. Except this little girl didn't quite understand that. She said, I want to do the trust fall. And she started to fall. I had to make a decision. I, uh, I decided I probably ought to catch her, and, and I did. I think it was the right decision to make. But I got to thinking afterwards, this little girl, why did she do that? Well, I suspect she's from a family where she's experienced that trust fall, and she has, enjoys that good feeling, and she finds the family is reliable. She can count on them to catch her. But the second thing, what led her to do that here in church? And somehow, I think she was feeling that warmth, that support, that love, that reliability in the church that she experiences in the family. What's this have to do with adults? Well, let's all do a trust fall. You want to come up front and we'll all catch you in the trust fall? Actually, That's what happens when a person who feels like no one could accept me if they knew who I really am 
and then begins to trust and they find that this body of Christians, this Christian family is willing to catch you to try to get you back on your feet so that you can be walking in a more productive way. The trust fall, that is a fairly good image for what we're trying to do in dealing with one another's sin patterns. Let's move to another scripture here. We are going to reset also our way of dealing with people who are different from us. Here's a scripture in 1 Timothy. Don't rebuke an older man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. This is a multi-generational church. That also is not something our culture would promote. Our culture tends to stratify things. They market to this group, market to this age group, market to the next age group. If we were to follow the cultural pattern, we'd be announcing, okay, worship at 8 a.m. for 60 and up. Uh, 9 a.m., that's when the middle-agers come. Uh, 10 a.m., young adults. 11 o'clock, teenagers, if they can get out of bed by that time. And there would not be that kind of interaction. We have things for the various age groups, but we have a united focus on all. Uh, We're a multi-generational church, and the generations support and interact with one another. Generations don't always agree on everything. You know how it is. We may not like the way we may not like the way the kids dress, talk, act, walk. Um, you name it. We probably dislike it. We don't like the way they wear their hair. <laughs> Sometimes they don't like the way I wear my hair. How would they even know? But there's that resistance to things that are not exactly what we are doing or what we would do if I were back at that age. But by the healthy interaction within family where we know that you're still part of me, we stick together. Now that divisiveness within culture happens in a lot of different ways. The letter from James has a statement for us. We'll get it up here in a moment. The letter, the second chapter, there we are. Uh, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. What James was dealing with was a kind of a cultural stratification where some people thought they were better than others because of the perhaps the religious identity they had, or perhaps because of the wealth that they had. And so there's a sociological dynamic to it. It goes a little bit further than that. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in talking to the Galatians, is speaking specifically to divisive Christians when he says there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham, Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Any kind of separation according to ethnic background, according to race, according to uh, professional structures, according to how much money you make, anything like that runs absolutely alien to what 
the New Testament consistently is teaching for us as a Christian family. You may not look a lot like I look, but in Christ, our DNA has been rewritten, and we are all heirs of the promise, and so we are one. We are family. The last scripture I want to look at is a rather brief one that simply relates to our personal identity within the family. Uh, The Apostle John, writing in 1 John 3, says, See what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and we are. That issue of being God's children is a thing that will separate us from the world, but it's what binds us together. Why are we brothers and sisters? Because we have one Father, and we are the children of God. Uh, Preacher Fred Craddock told a story that he experienced early in his ministry. Uh, He was with his wife down at a cafe in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, looking out across the Smoky Mountains, sitting at a table while they were eating their breakfast and looking out. He had grown up in those mountains. And uh, while they were eating, an old duffer in bib overalls and a plaid flannel shirt walked up and said, Hi, I'm Ben. Uh, What's your name? And Fred introduced himself and his wife, and he said, now, you're not around from here. What do you do? And Fred said he was a preacher. And so Ben said, preacher, yeah? Uh, Let me tell you a preacher story. And he pulled up a chair and sat at their table, and you're going to listen to the story. He said, I grew up out in those hills, and it wasn't a very good experience for me. You see... I never knew who my papa was, and the uh, people around didn't seem to respect me very much. At school, the kids seemed to have been told not to play with me. On Saturdays, when I'd go into town with my mama, people, particularly some of the old women in town, would come and they'd look at me in the face, studying my features closely to try to figure out who my papa might have been. It wasn't much fun. But there was a a church that I started going to, a little country church, and I was uh, really caught by the preacher there. He was a tall man, wore uh, a black swallowtail coat, uh, had a deep voice and penetrating eyes, and I liked to hear him preach, but because I didn't want to be around people, I'd slip in after church started and sit on the back pew, and then when things were about to dismiss, I'd slip out real quickly so I wouldn't have to face people. But one day, like little boys sometimes do, I fell asleep on that back pew, and when I woke up, I was hearing the noise of everybody moving out, and the crowd of adults getting, getting toward the door, and I panicked, and I started to elbow my way through that forest of adult legs to try to get to the door, and I just broke through. It was about to take off running when I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I glanced up, 
and it was the preacher. And the preacher turned me around and looked me in the eyes and he said, young man, whose child are you? And I felt terrified. I thought, oh no, it's going to happen here like it happens everywhere else. But then he pulled me closer to him and looking deep into my eyes with his eyes, he said, young man, I perceive that you are a child of God. And then he turned me around, gave me a little tap on the behind, and he said, go out and claim your birthright. And he said, that experience changed my life. It made all the difference in the world. Well, Fred sat there and said, that's quite a story. But then he said, I grew up in those hills myself sometime after you did. And I hear tell as a young man about a governor of Tennessee who was said to be the best governor our state ever had. And his name was Ben, Ben Hooper. He said, is that you? And the old man simply said, glad to meet you. God bless you. And he walked off. My message to you today is, remember, you are children of God collectively, and you individually are a child of God. And as such, we are a family together, and we are called to act out the will of God, the love of Jesus Christ, the salvation that Jesus Christ brings in the lives of one another and to all the people out there who are not yet a part of this family. God bless you.